0: Hello, and welcome to Women in the Word. Isn't it great to be with women that love the Lord? Just love worshiping together. It's wonderful. I'm Lynn Kitchens. I'm happy to be a part of this wonderful teaching team. So I wanted to start by asking a question. Have you ever been walking and your foot got stuck in something? Like, have you ever been in mud with a boot on, and all of a sudden you come, and your boot's still in the mud, and your, your foot's hanging out there? I had some walking issues when I was a young girl when the blizzard of 1967 in Chicago hit my hometown area. Um, And I want to show you some of these pictures of it. This is it. Okay, I wanna tell you 23 inches of snow fell. The snow fell for 29 hours without stopping. Snow drifts were as high as 15 feet. Listen to this, if you were having a baby, You were taken to the hospital in sleds, bulldozers, let's see what, snow plows. Cars disappeared, recovered for days. Let's look at the next picture. Um, My dad couldn't find his car when he was done with work, so he walked to his parents' house, and then the next day he walked to our house. So it was a long time before you found your car again. Um, I remember taking my sled to the grocery store That was the only way to get groceries and get them back to the house, doing that. Okay, we have another picture I'm gonna show you. Now, this shows that as a young girl, what was that like for us? (laughs) A blast. No school, sledding, snowball fights. It was so much fun. So when I moved to Texas, I was grown up and I was teaching school in Arlington and I was telling my class about this. And I said, you know, and we actually could sled off the roof of our house. And the kids are like, yeah. And I went to the teacher's lounge and told one of the teachers, hey, I'm, I'm telling him about my experience and my kids don't believe me. And he said, well, it is hard to believe. <laughs> so I wanna show this next picture to prove my point. Now they know I was not lying. This is not my house, but this could have been my house, and this is what we did. If the drifts were big enough on the side of your house, you could make a sled, we would. We would go to the roof of our house, slide down. It was a wonderful time uh, for us, for kids, if you were a child. Uh, I wanted to just finish by saying, here's how the blizzard started for me, and I have a point for this. My house was one block from the school. It starts snowing at 5 a.m. I walk to the school. We, at that time, would walk home for lunch, which was fun. So I walked home for lunch and remember thinking, this is a lot of snow. <laughs> Got home, had lunch, go back to school, and there's about five of us in the classroom. And all I can say is, I guess my mom never looked out the window. LAUGHTER By the time I left school, the snow was above my knees and I can remember feeling the fear and the helplessness trying to walk and get back to my house, losing my shoe just about with every step I took, that helpless feeling. I wanna talk about moving forward in walking today. I wanna talk about moving forward in faith so that we're not stuck in the circumstances that are around us. Christ said there will be troubles, there will be hard things, but never does he want us to be stuck in them. That's what I want to look at. Moses is such a great person to look at in that. God's plan is for us to move forward in faith. Last week, I loved the lesson about Moses' life being interrupted by God. He was told, you've got to deliver two million Hebrews from Egypt, and Moses would definitely need to take steps of faith in order to accomplish that huge task that God had for him. And I'm happy to say he did just that. Moses is on the move. We can look at him and learn what steps of faith look like. Here's what they look like. Obedience to God and dependence on God. And you can't really have one without the other. You might think to yourself, you know, you might legalistically or self-righteously try to live the Christian life apart from dependence on God, and you're going to fail. You might think, I'm going to depend on God and just want to experience him, be emotional about God, but not surrender and walk in obedience to him, and you will fail there also in order to live The victorious life of faith that God wants us to live, we need both. The Christian must be holding in one hand obedience to God and in the other, dependence on God to move forward in faith. Look at Philippians 4.13 on your verse sheet. I can do all things through Christ, through him who strengthens me. Even deliver two million people from slavery and take them into an unknown land? Yes. Yes. Moses is on the move. He's moving forward in faith. So let's pick up the story after he's received his orders from the Lord to deliver his children from slavery. Look at verse 18. Moses went back to Jethro, his father in law, and said to him, Please let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to see whether they're still alive. And Jethro said, Go in peace. And the Lord said to Moses and Midian, go back to Egypt for all the men who were seeking your life are dead. So Moses took his wife and sons, had them ride on a donkey, went back to the land of Egypt and Moses took the staff of God in his hand. You know, I think Moses was quite comfortable in Midian and I think he was quite afraid of Egypt. Wouldn't it be so much easier to think that was just a bad dream, that burning bush thing. <laughs> just gonna stay here a while. Now, Moses has faith. He's on the move. He chooses obedience to God's calling. He sets aside his plans for God's plans. And he entreats his father-in-law, Jethro, to let him go. Now, think about that. He had a divine call from God himself, and he still shows courtesy and kindness to go to his father-in-law and say, let Zipporah and I and the children go back to Egypt. Now, he doesn't tell Jethro the whole story, and um, he doesn't tell him about this massive mission God has given him. And I think he had good reason for that. I think Jethro probably would have tried to stop him. If he told them, well, here's why we're going back, I think he'd say, no, you're not taking my daughter into that. I think it would have been a hard thing for Moses to deal with. And maybe he didn't tell them everything because word might have gotten out and preceded Moses before he gets back to Egypt. Now, if this had happened today, that would have been tweeted by Jethro in a second. (laughs) All of Egypt would have known. They would have taken Instagram of Moses leaving in the morning, (laughs) going to Egypt. By not telling Jethro the whole story, Moses is guarding against the temptations to disobey God. At the same time, I thought this was remarkable. He is so humble about this high calling from God. I thought if I was Moses, it would have been so easy to say, so Jethro, are you going to the Sandlot game Friday night? <laughs> Me? No, you know, God wants me to go to Egypt, deliver a couple million people. No more Sandlot games for me. God and I, we're like this. I love that he doesn't do that. He obeyed God without being prideful about it. And here the Lord steps in to encourage the heart of Moses and says, you know those people that wanted to kill you? They're dead. Go in peace. What an encouragement from God, it blesses him. And so, as the sun was rising one morning, and the birds were singing, Moses took his wife Zipporah and his two sons, Gershom and Eleazar, set them on the back of a donkey, and set his sandaled feet onto the path of God, taking the staff from God with him, a staff to me that represents obedience and dependence on God. And on the hard ground, he started obediently walking. Moses had everything he needed for his trip. He had God's words. He had God's power. He had God's encouragement. If you and I had that, wouldn't it be so easy to obey him? Wait a minute. We do have that. We have those things in our lives. He gives us his word. He provides his power. He encourages us along his path. So when we choose to disobey, I think maybe it's something else. I think we would rather stay in Midian where we have arranged our life instead of going somewhere where God has arranged our life. It seems too hard. It seems too hard for daily obedience, staying pure, submitting, submitting forgiving, serving, but obedience to God is the result of understanding the provision of God. The journey of obedience is not an impossible journey. We have equipment from God himself. Look at 1 John 5. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who's been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. 1 Corinthians, no temptation has overtaken you that's not common to man, but God's faithful. He won't let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. When we tell ourselves and remind ourselves of the truth that his commandments are not burdensome, that he has made plans for our victory through those provisions, we can choose to also set our foot on those hard paths and move forward in obedience. We can borrow some words from Dr. Seuss. Oh, the places you'll go. Oh, the people you'll meet, the way God will use you will really be neat. I just wrote that line. (laughs) He may call you like Julie and send you to Ethiopia. He may just tell you, you need to go to your aunt's house and spend time with her and share Christ with her. The places you'll go, the things you'll do. Now, God provides Moses with some more encouragement on this journey. Look at verse 21. The Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see you do before Pharaoh all the miracles I've put in your power. But I'll harden his heart so he won't let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. What is encouraging in this for this hard passage for Moses? I think the great love that God had for Israel. You know, Moses has been out of um, Egypt for so long. How encouraging for him to be reminded God loves the children of Israel. I think it would make his steps lighter and quicker, his mission more meaningful. Look at Deuteronomy 14. You are a people holy to the Lord your God and the Lord God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the people who are on the face of the earth. Hosea. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. Wow. He's being reminded of how much God treasures his people. And then he tells Moses, you tell Pharaoh about this. You tell him about my great love, my firstborn son." Now, to the ancient Egyptians, the firstborn son was sacred, so saying these kind of words to Pharaoh would not be lost. The meaning of them would not be lost on Pharaoh. Now, Pharaoh considered himself the only son of the gods in Egypt. So, to hear an entire nation saw themselves as the firstborn son of their god, would have been an incredible, strange thought to him. It would mean that they were all declared privileged and preeminent. This would be an incredible thought for Moses as well an encouraging one. But now in that passage, we have the hard issue of uh, God hardening the heart of Pharaoh. Does God override free will here? We're gonna see in the story of Moses... God's will and man's will connecting. But we realize in verse 23, it was Pharaoh's choice to let the people go because they tell him, if you refuse, there will be judgment. God was certain that Pharaoh would refuse. Look at your verse sheet, Exodus 3. Earlier, these were God's words. I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. Pharaoh hardened his heart seven times before God hardened it. So let's strike a balance in Pharaoh hardening his heart and God hardening it. 10 times God hardened Pharaoh's heart, 10 times Pharaoh hardened his own heart. So here's what I do, this is what I ask myself, and I think it's a good thing to do when we come to a confusing passage. Does the Bible teach that God is good and just? Yes, then I have to believe that God's involvement in the affairs of men bring about his purposes in his ways. So in God's infinite wisdom, he raised up Pharaoh so that in his rebellion against God, he might be an instrument for God's glory as creator God can intervene as he chooses, but never without the loss of personal responsibilities being taken. God reserves the right to judge sin as he sees fit. So he accomplished the deliverance of Israel while judging Pharaoh's sinfulness. Here's a great quote. God confirmed Pharaoh's defiant, willful obstinance by then judiciously hardening his heart the hardening of men's hearts who have resisted his will is one way that God judges men I'll say that again the hardening of men's hearts who have resisted his will is one way that God judges men so continual disobedience to the will of God results in a heart that becomes hardened to the realities of God So now we find a great example as he's on his journey of how disobedience threatens to take us off the path of God. Exodus 24. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. So Zipporah took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it and said, Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. So God let him alone. It was then that she said, a bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. Okay, that's a confusing passage. (laughs) I'm so glad I get to talk about it. (laughs) So many interpretations of this passage. If you want to go home and study that a little more, that would be fine. I'm just going to share the one that seemed to be the most accepted and it made the most sense to me. Uh, God had obviously given his people a command of circumcision and Moses had ignored it. He did not circumcise his son. Look at Genesis 17. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and all your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. It shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. This is God speaking to Abraham. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh, an everlasting covenant. So how can Moses stand before his children as a faithful servant of God without obeying this covenant? If God honored this covenant, Moses needed to honor this covenant. And we'll see in the future, Moses is going to be an interpreter of the law How could he stand there without having obeyed the law himself? So an illness struck Moses that brought him close to death. And then we see his wife, Zipporah, step in. She performs the circumcision on her son that Moses should have performed. But some people believe that she may have been part of the reason why Moses didn't do the circumcision in the first place, that she didn't like this rite that she thought it was maybe a disgusting rite. And maybe that's part of the reason that he did not do it. We don't know for sure. Um, Now their sins have found them out. So in order to keep Moses alive, she performs the circumcision. And when she puts her son's foreskin at his feet, it's pretty much representing Moses' disobedience now substituted with obedience and she saves his life. Her words, you're a bridegroom of blood to me, were probably words that described her disdain over the need to do this circumcision. This story shows us God would rather remove us from his plans than to use us with unconsecrated hearts and unsurrendered wills. To serve God well, the whole will must be Surrender to him in obedience. You know, I just thought it's so easy to kind of pick and choose where we want to obey God and where we want to obey self. And and it's so easy, and I've done this, where we rationalize our sins. Oh, this is who I am, you know me. No big deal. No harm done. We can't be walking on a path of faith, carrying a backpack, of unconfessed sin. We can't do it. God doesn't allow it. Moses' sudden illness was a warning to him. He had to obey God fully to accomplish this mission. It seems at this point, everybody I read said that Moses sent Zipporah and her sons back to Jethro. Not sure why. Maybe they were having a little spat over all this. But she goes back. She'll meet up with them later. You'll see that happen. Okay, God had told Moses earlier he needed to meet with Israel's elders to tell them this plan of deliverance before he met with Pharaoh. And Moses is going to obey him. But I love that God has a plan to encourage Moses again as he's moving forward in faith. Look at um, verse 12. Actually, go. yeah, we're in chapter 4. Go back to um, verse 12 in chapter four. I want us to remind us of what he had told Moses. He said to Moses, go, I will be with your mouth and teach you what to speak. But Moses said, please send someone else. And the anger of the Lord was kindled and said, isn't there Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know he can speak well. Behold, he's coming out to meet you. And when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him, put the words in his mouth. I will be your mouth and with his mouth and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people. He shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him. Okay, let's pick up the story, verse 27. Then the Lord said to Aaron, go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went and met him at the mountain of God and kissed him. And Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord, which we had sent him to speak and all the signs that he had commanded him to do. You know, this is just kind of thrown in there, and we're like, okay, wouldn't you have loved to been hiding behind a cactus <laughs> and watched this meeting? Two brothers who half a lifetime hadn't seen each other. Two brothers with this incredible mission before them. Don't you know that when they saw each other coming across the sand, They had these huge smiles, and they met each other. The very hand of God was pushing them together so there was gladness in their hearts. They met on Mount Sinai, Mount Horeb, where Moses had seen the burning bush, which I'm sure he was pointing up all the time while he was telling the story. What a story. Moses had to tell Aaron. And I wonder, you know, as Moses was telling the story, you know how brothers can be, Aaron was going, what, really? No, what really happened? No, I really think because God had told Aaron, go meet your brother, he knew whatever's going on, this is a big thing from God. I think he just listened and listened and couldn't even imagine. They were sitting on rocks next to each other. And Moses is telling him about the burning bush, a voice of God, the name of God, the command of God to release his people, and the miracles that Moses would perform. And then Moses would have leaned in and said, Aaron, you are going to be the spokesperson. Wow, wow, what a thing for Aaron to hear. He says, "Ah, I'm gonna hear from God and then I'll tell them to you, he will be my mouth and he will be your mouth. And Aaron is hearing the story about the visit from God, the deliverance, the part he'd play. And I just wonder if they cried together, if they laughed, if they joined hands in prayer and praises to heaven, I think when they stood up afterwards, they dust off their robes and they went on their way rejoicing because that's what happens when we obey. Rejoicing follows us. I think it was an incredible time, but they were getting ready for a momentous meeting It was time to go to the elders of Israel. And remember earlier Moses' fears about that? Oh my gosh, they won't listen to me. They won't want to do what I say, send someone else. He still obeyed God anyway. Look at verse 29. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered the elders of the people of Israel. And Aaron spoke all the words the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people. Actually, the when you read that, it looks like Aaron did the signs, but there's it's Moses, the way it was translated. So Moses did the signs, and the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and they worshiped. Okay, so here we realize something. After 400 years, there is still some kind of Um, Israel tribe organization. They still have elders, which is wonderful. Now these elders are gathered. Where would that have happened? That would have been at night in the land of Goshen where they all lived in a secluded spot where they wouldn't be noticed. In the dark, they would be straining to look at the face of Moses because they heard about this guy, but most of them had never seen him. And they were curious. And then just as God said, Aaron began to speak the words of God. And Moses began to perform the signs of God. The staff becoming a snake. The hand becoming leprous. The Nile River water turning into blood. And as the elders stared in wonder at the faces of Moses and Aaron, they witnessed these signs. And the Bible tells us they believed. They believed. What an incredible moment for them. They began to praise God. After 400 years, God sees our misery. God knows about us. He cares about us. He's going to deliver us. And they got on their knees and they bowed their heads and they worshiped God, probably in a way that they hadn't worshiped him in a very long time. The time had come Just as God had promised Abraham that they would be sojourners in the land that wasn't theirs for over 400 years until God would bring them out with great possessions. And so the obedient actions of Moses and Aaron resulted in the elders' praise and worship. Okay, you can be sure that principle holds true today. God uses an obedient lifestyle to increase the faith of those around us. Don't you know that to be true? Look at Proverbs 4. But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. An obedient path is a shining path for others to run to. Some of you have heard about uh, Lee Strobel, who's written, I believe it's The Case for Christ, a great book about his journey to Christ. He was an atheist, he was an angry man, now he's in ministry and he's an author. And he tells the story of how horrible he was, how much anger and profanity was filled inside of him. He had a little five-year-old daughter named Allison and often when he would come home at night, she would run and get in a room because she was afraid of him and what he might do. There was a time he kicked a big hole in the wall and she took off running for her bedroom. Then he came to Christ. Five months later, his daughter said to her mom, Mom, I want God to do to me what he did to daddy. She saw a shining path, a new person someone walking in obedience, and she came to Christ because of him and God using him in her life. I love that about this story. So once Moses and Aaron were accepted, okay, you're going to be our representatives of the nation of Israel, then the stage was set for their encounter with Pharaoh. Um, Probably this is Omen Amenhotep second. I know if you've seen the Charlton Heston movie, it was Ramses, so I'm just letting you know. Uh, some people think it was Ramses, some people think Amenhotep second, depending on the timing. This was gonna take a lot of dependence on God, so we're moving now just from Moses holding the hand with obedience. He's really gonna need to be depending on God as he stands before Pharaoh. Look at verse five. I mean, Chapter five, verse one. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, who's the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I don't know the Lord. Moreover, I won't let Israel go. And they said, well, the God of Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or the sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, behold, the people of the land are now many, and you make them rest from their burdens. This is one dramatic scene. Two men over 80 in their Hebrew robes walking in to stand before one of the greatest kings of the ancient East. They would have been standing near massive columns of red granite and limestone, probably in the inner court of a sumptuous palace, surrounded by courtiers, statesmen, soldiers, priests, and in the middle on a throne glaring at them would be the man who thought he was a God, whose title was the perfect God, whose will was indisputable. And here stands two Jewish men claiming the Hebrew God, the God of his slaves, wants his people to hold a feast in the wilderness. So their words let my people go Hung in the air. Little did Pharaoh know how many times he was going to hear that phrase. Pharaoh responds as if he doesn't even know this God of the Hebrews, but he definitely would have known of him. But he responds this way in his arrogance, showing that he won't acknowledge him. And he definitely won't acknowledge that he has any authority over him, the great God of the Egyptians. So he responds in three ways. He repudiates the God of Israel as having no authority. He was uncaring that Israel could be punished by their God. He was concerned mostly for his own loss of labor productivity. In fact, he sees the whole thing as a ruse for these people to get out of work. So after Pharaoh's denial, what does Moses do? Well, I tried and he got up and he went back to Midian. No. He would return to Pharaoh again and again and again because it wasn't his job to make it happen. He knew and was depending on God to bring about Israel's deliverance. When the palace doors slammed in Moses and Aaron's faces, they could not slam the doors on their faith. So, depending on God means you trust in his timing and his power to bring about his plan. We do his will even when doors are being shut in our lives, even when there's trials, unfairness, loss, disease. We depend on God for his timing and his power. I read a sweet story. Um, A lot of you have heard of George Mueller, who was... um, An incredible godly man, he and his wife ran an orphanage in Britain, I believe, in the 1800s for lots of orphans, and he just loved the Lord. And he lost his wife when he was 64. They'd been married 40 years. And shortly after the funeral, he preached a sermon about it. And everyone thought, what text would George Mueller choose to talk about when he just lost his wife? He chose Psalm 119, 68, you are good and you do good. And these were his points. The Lord was good and did good in giving my wife to me. Number two, the Lord was good and did good in leaving her so long with me. Number three, the Lord was good and did good in taking her away from me. And under his third point, he said, This was how I prayed for her during her illness. Yes, my father, the times of my darling wife are in your hands. You will do the very best thing for her and for me, whether life or death. If it can be, raise up my precious wife. You are able to do it, though she's so ill. But howsoever you deal with me, only help me to continue to be perfectly satisfied with thy holy will. A beautiful picture of that. What it means to depend on God. So we read in this chapter what happened next. It's another picture of the hardness of Pharaoh's heart. That very same day, he increased the workload for the Hebrew slaves. The Egyptians used to gather the straw and give it to the Hebrews to build the bricks. Now they said, you guys go gather the straw and build just as many bricks as before. Well, Pharaoh calls the words of God, lying words, and says, you know, those people are idols, so let's just make them work harder. Let's make them do this. In their small homes, every night, the Hebrew slaves, sitting around candles, would be crying in anguish over this workload put on them. And it was to them like a sentence of doom. They were also being scattered all day long, all over, not being able to stay together, searching frantically to find straw. Now they were even more miserable than they were before, working twice as hard as they had been. It's time for the foreman to set a formal meeting with Pharaoh. Look at verse 14. And the foreman of the people of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten. And we're asked, why haven't you done all your task of making bricks today and yesterday as in the past? Then the foreman of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, why do you treat us like this, your servants? No straw is given to your servants, yet they say to us, make bricks. And behold, your servants are beaten, but the fault is in your own people. But he said, you are idle, you are idle. That is why you say, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Go now and work. "'No straw will be given you, "'but you still must deliver the same number of bricks.' "'The foreman of the people saw they were in trouble "'when they said, "'You shall by no means reduce your number of bricks, "'your daily task each day.' "'They met Moses and Aaron, "'who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh, "'and they said to them, "'The Lord look on you and judge "'because you have made a stink "'in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants.' and you have put a sword in their hand to kill us. The foremen were being beaten for not producing the right amount of bricks. They approached Pharaoh with their cries and their questions. Three times they swear allegiance to Pharaoh by calling themselves his servants. He sees them as lazy, trying to get out of work, and pacing outside of the palace during all this time or maybe in a palace hallway is Moses and Aaron because they are very interested to see how God will right this wrong. These were the very men that these foremen wanted to see, Moses and Aaron. And so the foremen blamed them for their troubles and they called God to judge them And they say, now there's like a sword of Pharaoh hanging over our heads and they storm off having yelled insults and hatred to Moses who has come to deliver them and they walk off. Now, how would a Moses respond if he was taking full ownership of this mission and depending on himself? He would debate the foreman. He would get defensive with the foreman. He would yell at the foreman. If Moses was going to respond, showing that he was depending on God to complete this mission, what would he do? He would run to God. He would pray to God and come to him with his questions and his confusion, which is what he does, rebuked by his own people, he takes his confusion and concerns to the Lord in prayer. Look at verse 22. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, O oh Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you've not delivered your people at all. I really think Moses didn't anticipate that Pharaoh's refusal would result in more suffering on the people he'd come to deliver. It made no sense to him. But what's the wonderful thing here is what his prayer is directed toward. He's not saying, Lord, how am I supposed to deal with these people? Help me, they're criticizing me. What's wrong with them? He was totally concerned about the welfare of these people that just insulted him and walked out of the room. Lord, they're suffering. And now because of me, they're suffering worse. This is a selfless prayer. And by going to God, he's acknowledging, I need you. If I'm gonna move forward in faith, I need you. I'm depending on you. Prayer is the discipline that teaches us our need for our sovereign and our loving Father. I found an old hymn that I thought was so good. I must tell Jesus all of my trials. I can't bear these burdens alone. In my distress, he kindly will help me. He ever loves and cares for his own. Tempted and tried, I need a great Savior, one who can help my burdens to bear. I must tell Jesus. He all my cares and my sorrows will share. I must tell Jesus. I must tell Jesus. I cannot bear these burdens alone. I must tell Jesus. Jesus can help me. Jesus alone. We move forward in faith when we know this is to be true and we go to God depending on him. You know, Moses' path leading to Israel's deliverance will be a steep path and a rocky path, but he's not walking alone, he's holding obedience, he's holding dependence on God, and that has to be our plan, if we wanna walk through life moving forward in faith. Let me pray. Lord, we love you, we love how you meet all our needs. We love the story of Moses, your goodness, your power, your wisdom. May we be reminded of it for every difficult thing that crosses our path to hold tightly to you because you love us. We praise you in Christ's name, amen.